Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Will you stand with me? I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So on Pentecost Sunday, I'm going to teach you something called the Word, the Worship, and the Wind. God bless you. You may be seated. This is the birthday of the church. This is the day that we set aside once a year to honor the Lord and be grateful for the church. I'm not talking about a religious gathering. I'm talking about the church. I've never been so myopic or short-sighted as to, like some pastors, if you don't go to their church, then you are lost, you are whatever. To me, it's, that's as stupid as sitting in a bathtub and pouring in a box of salt and saying, this is the Atlantic Ocean. There are just too many people out there that if it doesn't come out of their stack, it's not smoke. If this And I'm grateful for what this is. But if this local assembly is all Jesus has in this city, Jesus is in trouble. The church is much bigger than this local assembly. We are a part of a Catholic church. I had someone came one time and said, is this a Catholic church? I said, absolutely. And someone besides said, thought, Pastor, you're not telling the truth. The word Catholic means worldwide. The word Catholic means universal. I am a part of a worldwide church. I'm I'm a Catholic, okay? I'm a Latter-day Saint. I'm the real Baptist. Amen. That's the truth. And uh, except I'm just, I'm Jerusalem Catholic. I'm not Roman Catholic. Okay? Because when you read Ephesians 4 and 5, it said there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You go, put all that, you, you get those verses together. It says, there's one, you talk about oneness message. There's one body, one spirit, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. That's what it said. Not two faiths, not ten faiths. That worn out sidestep that says, well, we're all on different roads, Reverend, but we're going to end up at the same destination in the end. Um, uh, you know... Some of them say when you're dying, you see that light. Some people, that's a train coming at them. All right. It reminds me of a question that Jesus asked his disciples that day when they woke him up in the bottom of a ship from a much needed nap. He asked them, where is your faith? And I'm sure what he was asking them was, you know, because they're terrified. Don't you care that we're going to perish? We're going to drown. And he said, where's your faith? I think what he was asking them, is your faith in the storm or in me? Because it sounds to me like you're absolutely convinced this storm is going to kill us all. If that's the case, you got more confidence in the storm than the Savior that told you an hour ago, we're going to the other side. Okay? If Jesus said we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. We're not going to 
sink halfway on our way to the other side. Okay? And it's just, uh, it's, so where's your faith? Because according to Ephesians 4, there's just one faith. Not, not, not just, it, not just it's, he that believes, he that comes to God must believe that he is. And, and he must believe that he is, and he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. And the Bible said it's impossible to please him if you don't have faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And that's, that's watch this verse carefully. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to, the, to his purpose. People sloppily say uh, all things work together for good. Um, that, that, that verse is not a catch-all. That verse does not apply to everybody. I, I remember I had a very uh, belligerent, uh, I don't know what, he was married to my aunt. Uh, I guess that makes him my uncle, but we didn't claim him. And uh, he, he was belligerent. And I remember in a family gathering, he, he despised my father and his stance and and he looked at he said, you know, Harry, where's that? That scripture says all, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> about, um, uh, and now I won't even remember how it goes. Uh, all things work together for those. Nah, it's that one that says, uh, uh, whatever. Now, it'll come to me halfway in this message here tonight. Anyway, uh, my dad said, uh, I'm, that's not in the Bible. And he said, of course it is. My dad said, no, I don't think it is, you know. And uh, I was really proud of my dad because it wasn't in the Bible. There are people that just twist and torture scriptures, and, and this is one of them, you know. Well, it's all going to work out. Everything, uh, listen, listen to what it says. There are two very clear requirements that you have to have in order to have this promise. That all things will work out for you. First, you got to love God. And what, listen, listen again. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. I used to read it like this. To him that are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that. It says to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's real specific. His wonders to, his wonders to, what's that? Boy, I'm close to that saying. Boy, it's going to bug me now the whole time I'm saying, you know. If you think of it, just shoot it out here to me because, boy, it's going to bug me. We have to be the called. The called. So your faith can't be in Allah or Buddha or a higher power or the spirit that moveth in all things or Hashem, or Shiva, or a long litany of lesser gods. The Bible says in, Acts, or in Revelation 19, the Lord God Almighty Omnipotent reigneth. Yes. All right? There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This is, this is Pentecost Sunday. And some people are going to ask, well, what in the world is Pentecost Sunday? And others will ask, well, well, what is Pentecost? Pentecost is mentioned three times in the Bible. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. Paul mentioned it twice, and Luke mentioned it once. It's also known 
in the Old Testament. It's known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. This is a picture of the official flag of Israel. But there is another symbol of Israel that looks like this. There are seven festivals or feasts that are mentioned in Leviticus 23. But in the book of Exodus 23 and 17, it says three times in the year, all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know that these seven festivals are in three groups. The first three, Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits are together. There's the fourth one, which is called Pentecost, which stands alone. And then there are the final three of Trumpets, Atonement, Tabernacles. Thus, the menorah. I think the menorah is the perfect picture of the feast. Three to the left, three to the right, and one right smack dab in the middle. All three, three times every year, God asked all the men to come to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate these three festivals. All three of these feasts and all three of these trips were associated with a harvest. Passover, which was the beginning, was linked with the first harvest of the year, which was barley. The last Feast of Tabernacles was linked with the final harvest in the year when they harvested grapes and olives. But Pentecost, the one in the middle, is linked with the wheat harvest. Penta, derivative of five, in this case, 50. The, the number 50 is very important in the Bible. Um, when you study the word, in Egypt, you had the death of the lamb. Then they ate the unleavened bread. And then there was the miraculous exit or exodus. When you deeply study the book of Exodus, you can prove that 50 days after they left Egypt, they came to Sinai. When you study the New Testament, you will find that Jesus in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7 is referred to as our Passover. You will also find in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, he is referred to as our first fruits. 50 days after his exit or exodus from the grave, we have the outpouring on the day of Pentecost. That's why it says in Acts 2 and 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. 50 days after they got out of Egypt, they came to Sinai where the law was given. So the first Pentecost is not Acts 2. The first Pentecost is Exodus 20, when the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. This is what Estelle quoted and what Isaiah was saying in Isaiah 28. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Uh, my, my wife and I, our, our lives changed drastically a couple days ago. And my mom fell down the stairs and and broke bones in her, in her leg and her foot. And, and it's, trust me, Esther Gertrude Hoffman doesn't do well lying in a bed with a big boot on. She, she, she is one very frustrated woman right now. And, uh, and, and uh, I, 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 we, we, we're doing our best. I'm, my wife's taking care of mother and I'm taking care of my dad. And we kind of fall into bed at night and uh, 
and 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 but every morning my wife faithfully gets up and I, I, every every morning she has prayer with a group of women many of you in this room meet with my wife every morning and they always have a lesson and they always have great prayer and and whenever she comes back it's 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 precious because I see her getting out of bed 5:30 quarter 6 every morning and she is she is exhausted but when she comes back from that prayer meeting she's energized there is a refreshing in the presence of God that you can't buy at Rite Aid you can't get it in the grocery store now you understand the first Pentecost is not Acts chapter 2, but Pentecost is a festival every year that commemorates the giving of the law. The Lord worketh in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. That was what my belligerent uncle asked my dad. Where is that in the Bible? It ain't in the Bible. It's just not there. And uh, now we'll go back to where we are. Hallelujah. It's just uh, my brain was divided. I was going in two different directions there, talking to you and trying to process. And this right was on one side, left. You get it. Okay. So, see, as the men were coming to Jerusalem, everything about Jerusalem is up. Everything's up. And uh, every time, three times every year, they're going up a hill called Zion. But as they did, they are actually doing two things. First thing they're doing is they're remembering Moses going up Sinai to get the law. And the second thing they're doing is they're reciting scripture, very specific scriptures. Go to Psalms 120 and look at 120 through 134, 15 Psalms. And before you come to verse 1, every one of them has a heading that says this, a psalm of ascent. Not descent, it's a psalm of ascent. As they're going up to Jerusalem, they're quoting these psalms. And when you come to the end of those psalms, it says this, How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like oil, holy anointing oil that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, and on the garments and on the skirts. And it says, As the dew is on the Mount of Hermon, so I have commanded a blessing there forevermore. There's great symbolism and typology here. It talks about Aaron's beard, but then it talks about the garments, which I think it's a picture of the men, and then the skirts, which is a picture of the women. And I, I think what it's saying is, if you want anointing on the preacher and on the men and on the women, you've got to be harmonized. You have to be unified. And just, just as sure as you can plan on do being on Herman every day, you can be sure there will be anointing on the church when the church is together. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It, 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 yeah. so they asked me a couple years ago, how do you build a church? And I said, well, I, 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 I'll tell you what the Bible says. You've got to have a yay and an amen. You've got to have a yes coming out of the pulpit, and you've got to have an amen coming back from the pew. Some preachers are really good, they, but they got no amen. Amen. Some churches have got a lot of no amen, but they got a lousy preacher. You got to have a yes and a vision coming from the pulpit, and you got to have an amen coming back from the pew. And when you get a yay and an amen together, and there's harmony and unity, something wonderful can happen. 
And that's why Ezekiel said, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you. I'll cause you to walk in my statutes, my judgments and do them. The last thing you need to understand, you got to need to understand this thing 50 is a big deal. You need to understand Pentecost started with the giving of the law and in, 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 in sign. But the last thing you need to understand for the purpose of today is the fulfillment of the prophecy of John the Baptist. I'm baptizing you with water, not for remission of sins. When I baptize you, you're repenting. You're just saying, I know, I know the Messiah is fixing to come. I'm just going to get my heart right right now before he ever shows up. And he said, he's mightier than I. One place he said, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. But he said, I'll baptize you with water under repentance. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And his fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner and burn up the chaff. Please notice that John the Baptist linked the promised outpouring of the Holy Ghost with a harvest. A threshing floor was a high, always high, a high rocky place close to the field where the harvest was cut. This is where the exhausting work of separating the individual kernels of grain from their stalks and husks that surrounded them occurred. Now, you have to realize, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus, you know, uh, it, it it was a garage, okay? The inn was full. They, they put him in a garage. It's a cave, all right? He, 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 he's born in somebody else's garage. He, he had to borrow somebody else's boat. He, he owned no house, so he's constantly living with somebody else. He owns no donkeys, so he had to borrow one to ride into Jerusalem. He, he didn't even own a tomb, but he borrowed a tomb, which was okay because he only needed it for three days. And that's what makes this verse so powerful. In the book of Acts, it says, Take heed unto yourselves and do all the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. To feed the flock of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. In in the old church, uh, we had a visitor one time, and I quoted that scripture. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And the guy literally stood up and said, Preacher, you told me he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He said, Well, I want my cow now. That's what he said. The Bible said, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But let me tell you what it says in Acts 20 and 28. There's only one thing he ever bought. There's only one thing he ever purchased, and that is the church. All right? Now, now listen with Revelation, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. John, by prophecy, personalized it and said specifically, it's going to be his hand. 
on his fan at his floor. It's going to be his wheat. He's talking about something that Jesus owned. And the only thing that I can prove biblically that he actually paid for was the church. So the church is nothing less than the threshing floor of Jesus Christ. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, David knew and had an ambition to build a house for his God. He said, I live in a house of cedar and he's in this old tent with skins. I want to build my God a great house. So he, he approaches this landowner by the name of Ornan or Aranu. And he said, I need some land to build a temple for my God. And, and Oranu said, I'll just give it to you. But listen to 2 Samuel 24 and 24. And the king said to Oranu, Nay, but I will surely buy it of a price, of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor. Ornan or Aranu, depending on how, where you're reading about, he offered this to David for free and David doesn't want anything to do with it. He said, do you think I'm going to build a temple to my God on a piece of property that, I, that costs me nothing? I expect, he didn't just say a price, he said, I expect to pay a high price. In the next couple of years, we're going to build a church over here. I've never been a money preacher, but I, I'm, just going to, I'm coming after you. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I want to know if you're willing to join me for 36 months to make a consecration, to pay a price, to build a new temple for our God. It's not going to come free. It's not going to come cheap. But I'm not interested in cheap or free, just like David. I'm willing to pay to build a house for my God to be exalted in. I'm going to build a house that for people, I don't know their names right now. I don't have faces for them right now. I don't have their emails addressed. They're out there right now, but they're going to find him there. I'm willing to pay for that. I'm willing to make that possible. And, and I, I'm just, I'm, it's just another way to make it. I'm not just talking about money here. It's going to cost you to serve Jesus Christ. Golf clap. So it does not surprise me that the church in the Old Testament was built on what used to be a threshing floor. One of my favorite books in the Old Testament is the book of Ruth. If you're familiar with the book, you know that at midnight, Boaz committed to being the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. That commitment happened at the threshing floor of Boaz. And just as Ruth, who is the great-great-grandmother of David, secured a commitment from her kinsman redeemer or her savior at the threshing floor, then perhaps you and I, the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, who is also the son of David, can secure a commitment from our savior at a threshing floor. Because the work of the field is not the same as the work of the threshing floor. Every child of God has employment in two places, the field and the threshing floor. Jesus gave seven parables 
about what his kingdom was going to be like in Matthew chapter 13. And he's very specific. The field is the world. And the seed is the word of God. So it's in that field where you sow and we water and we reap and we witness and we testify and we pray and we invite and we help and we teach and we spread the good news. We preach the gospel. According to Revelation 22 and 17, that invitation should go to whosoever will. It is indiscriminate. The Bible said the spirit and the bride say come. This is not just the work of the Holy Ghost. The church, it's a duet. has got to be willing to sing with the Spirit. Come on. Come on. Everyone that's thirst, come. Everyone that's weary, come. It's just whosoever will. One place Jesus described it as a net. It's one thing to fish with a reel and a line. It's another thing to fish with a net. When you're dealing with the gospel, we're not talking about lures, one line, one pole, one reel. It's a net. You throw that thing out there. That's why you never know what you're going to catch. You, you might get walleye and you might get bass and you might end up with a sucker every now and then. And you might end up with a shark every now and then. And you might end up with an old boot. You just you throw that net out and you just whatever's in the net, you just pull it in. Okay, we're casting the net. We're sowing the seed. And then you have a harvest. But this is what a lot of people don't understand. The work is not over when the harvest is over. The harvest is over, but the work of the threshing floor just begins. All right? And there are at least three things that happen on the threshing floor. First of all, they'd cut these stalks or these sheaves, and they would lay them out on this stony surface. And they most of the time took oxen and they would walk on them and they would stomp those stalks. Other times these oxen would pull a sled full of rocks and the grain was literally between the rocks on the sled and the hard place of the threshing floor. That pressure served to loosen the grain from the stalk and the stem and the husk it had been hiding in. On the threshing floor, the seed was separated from the chaff. The appearance had to change. The old husk that had covered that valuable seed was now being stripped away. In type, your past is being separated from your future. What you used to be, what you used to look like, how you used to live is being stripped away from the promise and the hope that is in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul referred to me as a, as a cow. He referred to me as an oxen. I'll prove it to you. In 1 Timothy 5 and 18, he said, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, for the labor is worthy of his reward. There were people that were criticizing Paul because someone gave him an offering. And he said, he quoted an Old Testament scripture. He said, you don't put a muzzle on the ox that's, that, that's, that's harvesting your field. You don't do that. And he's, what he's saying is, don't be cheap with your preacher. That's what he's saying. And, and, but he refers to, to himself as an oxen. 
and 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 right now, right now, I, 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 I'm pulling this gospel behind me, and 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 as I do, as the pressure, you feel it right now. I, the pressure is beginning to build because people are starting to realize. I I, I think he's talking about commitment. I I I I I, I think I might have to change, and. Uh, Things you used to do, things you used to say, the way you used to walk, what you used to wear are going to be challenged now. No wonder Paul said in Romans 13 and 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the power of the word that I'm preaching to you. It's going to challenge you to change. Today, what we want to have happen is a shaking and a loosening to take place. Old traditions, routines, habits, hobbies, rituals need to be broken, taken off of us, swept aside, along with your old regrets and your old failures and your past mistakes and your old shortcomings. Those need to be stripped away. When Lazarus was resurrected, Jesus didn't just go, hey, that's great. I'll tell you what Jesus said, lose them and let him go free. Why? Because if he stays in them old grave clothes, he's going to suffocate. And when the Lord fills you with resurrection power, it's the duty of the church to get them old clothes and that old way of life off of you or you're going to smother right there with resurrection life inside of you. Jesus could have spoke a word. That dude could have spun like a top and a wind would have blew and stripped him down bare, but not, no, no. He said to the people around him, that's you and me, loose him. It's the duty of the church to live in such a way that not only verbally, but by living a witness in front of people, we show them, get rid of that old lifestyle. Get rid of what you used to be. You're gonna die full of the Holy Ghost in them grave clothes if you don't walk and get away from the way you used to be. It's important, ladies and gentlemen, if you came here, amen, expecting nothing to change, you are in the wrong church. I've already had three people walk out of this service today because they didn't like what I'm about to, I'm, I'm just going right to the kisser. If you don't pray, expect to be challenged to pray. If you don't give, expect to be challenged to give. If you don't worship, expect to be challenged to worship. How do you walk? How do you talk? What do you wear? What do you do with your time, your talent, your finances? You cannot keep the miraculous resurrection life of Jesus Christ in those same old clothes. You can't put new wine in an old wineskin. You can't do it. Hanging on to old habits is just going to suffocate the miraculous life that he has put in you. Hallelujah. Amen. So you put that grain down there and you stomp on it and you grind on it and you separate it. You separate it. Now, amen. You get what we got? We, we, we got the word. Now we got to do the next thing. We got to, we, there, there's more work to be done. It's called a fan. Fan. We're, we're not talking about them things you plug in if the air conditioning went out. 
That's what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about right here. Some people may call it a pitchfork. It, a lot of times it was just a, 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 a big fork like that. Other times it was a, a basket and they would throw, they would throw this up the, 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 the heaps of crushed stalks and stems and grain thrown high into the air. Last week I helped to understand. Isaiah said that the Lord is, 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 is not just high and holy. It says in Isaiah 61, the Lord that he saw was high and lifted. That will require us to stand up. That will require us to look up. That will require us to lift up our eyes, lift up our hands, lift up our voice. Why? He's going to be high all by himself. But we need to lift him because only when he is lifted will people draw, be drawn unto him. Nobody's going to be drawn as long as Jesus simply remains high. He's got to be lifted by you and I with our worship. You do that with your mind. You do that with your mouth. You do with your body. That you make this temple a sacrifice. A sacrifice to your God. And, and, and we're not here to only rejoice in the good times. We, we are here to offer it all to him. The Bible doesn't say for everything give thanks. It says in, in everything give thanks. Because there's going to be things in my life and in yours. You know, I'm a, thank God my mom fell down the stairs and broke all that. I'm not saying that. But while this is going on, I'm not going to lose my thankful spirit because something happened that messed up my routine. You are never even going to enter into his gates if you don't get thanksgiving. Read the Bible. There's a gate, there's a door, and a veil. You go through the gate to get in the outer court. You go through the door to get in the holy place. You go through the veil to get the holy place. You can't even get in the outer. You can't get in the outside. You can't even get in the yard if you don't have a thankful heart. All these things. Bible says in Romans chapter 1. Visible things of God are seen, clearly seen by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imagination. Foolish heart was darkened, and then God gave them over to a reprobate mind. It's the only place in the Bible I can see God giving something over, and it begins with not having a thankful heart. Ladies and gentlemen, whatever you do, do not let something stomp the thanksgiving out of you. Hallelujah. Because I'm telling you, the wheat grows with the tares. All right? And that's why this verse is so powerful. Look in the book of John. In the last great, John 7, 37. In the last day, the great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all end with the same story. His death, burial, resurrection, and he leaves. All right? He leaves. John saw him years later. He was glorified. Revelation. He was like the Son of Man. That's not in Matthew. Well, 
Matthew 16, when he took him, or 17, when he took him up the Mount of Transfiguration, he showed him a little glimpse of what was going to happen. But his permanent glorification happened after he left this earth. John 7, 39 is very clear. Holy Ghost couldn't be given until Jesus was glorified. But if you go to the last chapter of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24 is the last chapter. Go to the last verse of the last chapter of the book of Luke. It says this, and they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God before the Holy Ghost was ever poured out because the glory always follows the praise. It always does. Look at the example of David coming in with the ark. The Bible said he was dancing and magnifying God. And that wife of his, that carnal wife of his was so upset. Look at the king. He's making a fool of himself. Uh, well, that's what, Dave, my God, David, sit down and hush. Oh, I can't even. But what she should have done is move them, them, them seven by 35s about a half a block behind all of that praise because there's the glory. Following the glory always follows the praise. Watch those people walking around Jericho, praising and blessing God. You can't keep praising God and the glory doesn't show up. Then there's the rumbling and the shaking. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. The glory always follows the praise. Before the Holy Ghost was ever poured out, they're praising and blessing God. Why? (laughs) Oh, Jesus. But there's one more thing that has to happen with this thing. You've got to have the word. You've got to have the worship. But then you've got to have the wind. Because the work of the field was done in the day. But in the evening, those thermals would begin to rise and blow up off the Mediterranean Sea. And the wind would sweep over the highlands. And that's where the threshing floors were always located. Those thermals, they would, use, they, 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 would, they would grind that thing. And then they would get these fans. And they would throw them up in the air. And then the wind blowing off of the sea would separate the chaff from the grain. As they threw them up and that harvest into the air, the worthless was done away with and the valuable would fall to the floor. The chaff was used for a fire to keep the keep the workers warm as they winnowed through the night. You've got to separate the grain from the garbage. Listen to me carefully before I close. Only only the wind can do that. When Pentecost came, it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. I've dedicated my life to being a good preacher. I do the best I can week in and week out. That John the Baptist preached the same thing for six months and had a great crowd. I've been preaching the same thing for 40 years or not. This. I've been trying to preach something different week after week after week. I'm nowhere near the crowd that John the Baptist had. But I, I've given myself trying my best to be an interesting preacher and, and keep your attention and take you somewhere. But it's not enough for me to preach. And it's not enough for you to praise. Preaching and praising is not enough. It's not enough enough just to have word and worship you gotta have the wind you gotta have that wind blow when you read you read the book of Ezekiel and 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 he said can 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 these bones live and he said I don't know you know I don't know and he said well prophesy to the bones and so that preacher started preaching to those 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 disorganized 
collection of, 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 of booms. And, and as he prophesied, the, you, you heard the click and the, and the clatter and, and bones reassembling themselves and, and b- 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 dry, b- dry bones coming together and clicking into place is not enough. The Bible said there came a wind there came a wind and when that wind blew that's when the muscle and the sinew and the skin came on those bones and they rose up and they were a mighty army if you ladies and gentlemen without the wind of the Holy Ghost we're nothing more than neatly arranged skeletons that's all we are we gotta have the wind of the Holy Ghost we gotta have God smile on what we do and go He breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And it's the same way today. I want the Lord to breathe on us. I want him to breathe on us. I'll do my best to preach your wonderful praisers. But preaching and praising is not enough. We need a trio, not a duet. We need the word. We need the worship. We got to have the wind. Nothing's coming alive without the wind. If you've ever been to Los Angeles, you have seen the smog that hovers over that city like a blanket. I read an account years ago of a reporter asking a man one time, do you think the wind can blow this away? And he said, no, it's going to take a wind from elsewhere. That's what Pentecost is supposed to be. A wind from elsewhere. Because heaven is very famous for what it doesn't have. There's no more night. There's no no more crying. Is there anybody here in pain or has experienced pain lately? Let me tell you about a place where pain will not be permitted. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death. There'll be no curse, which is what death was. So not only does it deal with immediately, it deals with the whole situation there. There's no death. There's no curse. There's no more sea. Paul was on a on on the the, the Alcatraz of his day. That's what Patmos was. It was a it was it was a penitentiary on an island. You didn't need guard dogs and fences and guns and lights because the swift and cold current of the Mediterranean would just sweep them out into sea, and no one could swim to the to the mainland. But Paul or John rather is standing on the edge and he said ah, the, the, these waves are mocking me and, 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 and he gets as close as he can to, to, to a church which is the church in Ephesus which was the closest church to Patmos and all of a sudden he hears something and said I'm Alpha and I'm Omega and I'm beginning and I'm end and I'm the first and the last and the God that was and is he said I turned around I realized, he said he was like the son of man he, he said, he said it, it had been almost 60 years since I'd seen him on that mountain in Matthew 17, but I knew it was Jesus. And, 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 and it was so, and then he sees six of the seven mean, I get it. No more night, no more sickness, no more death, no more pain. I get all that. But then he said, there'll be no more sea. And I think what he was saying was one of these days, these things that have separated brothers and sisters, these things that have separated churches, these things that have kept us apart, they won't be here anymore. We'll be a, a real church. We call ourselves oneness Pentecost. We need to be oneness in more than doctrine. We, 
Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. How are you going to separate the Holy Ghost from the flesh that it lived in? That's the same oneness that needs to be in the body of Christ. No more is the United States more separated than on Sunday morning. Oh, Jesus, would you please help us to get over the culture hurdle? Would you help us to get over the color hurdle? Would you help us to get, dear Jesus, would you please help us to have someone that, that, that somebody from every tribe and every tongue and every kindred. That's a real, that, that, that's my heart. And that's what a church ought to be about. And that's what Paul is, or John is saying. No more night, no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more curse, no mercy. So heaven is famous for what it doesn't have, but it's just as famous for what it does have. <laughs> because he's going to be there. <laughs> I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. I got by. I'm going to see him. Larry King just died, 90 years old. Larry King is credited with over 50,000 interviews in his 50 plus years career. He was an agnostic Jew. He didn't say there was a God, didn't say there wasn't. He just said, I don't know. But a man years ago said, Larry, if you could interview anybody that has ever lived, who would you want to live? And without batting an eye, he said, Jesus Christ. And he said, really? He said, what would you ask him? One question. Were you really born of a virgin? And he said, because if he says yes, that does it for me. He said, that changes the history of the world. As as Estelle said, it's his story. That's what history is. I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe, that's not a question. That's in the word. I I understand that. I I embrace that. Guess what? One day, I'm going to get to see him. I've walked with him for years, but I've never seen him. I've felt his presence for a long time, but I've never seen him. I've read his word for most of my life, but I've never seen him. But I'm going to feel him do this to me one day. You're not going to need those anymore. He, God himself, shall wipe away all tears from my eyes. Hallelujah. I'm going to say, Isaiah, did they really cut you in half when when you were in that tree? I'm going to be able to meet David. I'm going to say, so so really, you're the real Mary? You're you're, you're his mom? That one that all these people have been praying to? She said, yeah, it's a bunch of baloney. I I couldn't answer any of their prayers, but they prayed to him. I'm I'm going to meet Martha. I'm going to meet Lazarus. I'm going to be a meet a former prostitute, Mary Magdalene. You, 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 along with me, are going to be amazed one day to say, so, you, you're Peter's mother-in-law. What's your name? I read about you in the Word, but I never had a name for you. Would, would you tell me your name? Read, read, read in Acts 23, because Paul, in Acts 23 and 16, talks about his sister and his sister's son. You're going to meet the Apostle Paul's sister. You're going to meet his nephew. I don't know their names. I want to know. I want to learn their names. I, I, I want to hear, because it was Paul's nephew. Her, her. How did you hear about that plot to kill your uncle? and you lowered him in a basket. I, 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 I want to fill in the blanks. I, 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 I'm going to see those people. 
they, they, they are going to be there. But let me tell you something else heaven has. Heaven has windows. Heaven has windows. The Bible said in the, when he deal with the flood of Noah that the Lord opened up the windows of heaven. Read Malachi. How that if you are a faithful giver, the Lord will open up the windows of heaven and give you a blood. The heaven, has, it's, like the, it's like the veil in the Old Testament being ripped from the top to the bottom. Not just to let them in, but to let him out. I'm telling you that... that, that there are windows in heaven, but that's Old Testament. When you get in the New Testament, it doesn't talk about windows, it talks about doors. It said there is exceeding door in front of us, a powerful door in front of us. Behold, I have set before you an open door. It's got windows and it's got doors. And there is a place. Do you get it? Do you understand what I'm talking about? As I preach the word, the word is going to loosen the grain from its former life. Amen. And as we worship, we're getting beneath this and we're throwing up in the air but when the wind starts to blow and the Holy Ghost starts to move something amazing and something powerful takes place ladies and gentlemen oh hallelujah stand with me stand with me and give a witness of that stand with me and Max let me know you understand what I'm talking about I've been preaching the word we're praising him right now. But let me tell you what. You will, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be also in the midst. You cannot accompany word and worship and not get the wind. It's not going to happen. Because the wind or the word loosens the chaff and worship throws it in the air. But the wind of the Holy Ghost is what's going to blow it away. Because if we don't have the Holy Ghost, what you used to be is just going to fall right back down and it's going to be right beside of you the whole time. I want it to be gone. I want you to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm not just talking about people. I'm talking about preacher as well. Shepherd and sheep. Dear God, help us. I'm challenging all of us today. I want to change. I want to change. I'm doing my best. Trust me, we're getting... I had someone call me from out of the country last week and they said, we got people over here been following you for years and they got a phrase in Australia called lost the plot. Pastor Hoppin said he knows the exact day when Jesus is coming and people said, oh, he wasn't good. He lost the plot. And so someone called me from Australia and said, uh, uh, did you lose the plot? And I said, no. That's, I, I, want you, I said, but I, if you're asking me, I'm going to tell you what I think. I think he's coming in September. I got a one in four chance of that. I I got spring, summer, winter, fall. I I said, I can prove to you he honored Passover. I can prove to you on Passover he was on the cross. I can prove to you on the day of unleavened bread he was in the grave. I can prove to you on the day of first fruits he was coming out of the grave. I can prove to you on the day of Pentecost he poured out his spirit. There's seven festivals. He's honored four of those seven. I personally think he's coming back on the day that you celebrate trumpets. I think there's going to be a last trump. I, I, if you're asking me, I, I, it could be spring, could be summer, could be winter. I think it's going to be the fall. 
All right? And, and I've, I got a 1 in 12 shot with the months, okay? I think it's going to be September. But she, and they're asking me, I said, don't you understand what I'm trying to tell you people? You, I don't care what your approach is to prophecy. We're running out of excuses. We're running out of days, okay? Years ago, a generation was 40 years. And when the fig tree starts to bloom, this generation shall not pass until Messiah come. So the Jews were, Israel's made a nation in a day in 1948. So you had 40 years of that, you get 1988. So you had 88 reasons why Jesus come back in 88. Well, he didn't come in 88. And the same guy wrote a book, 89 reasons why Jesus come back in 89. He didn't come to, then we had the, the Y2K scare and everything was going to shut down, but it didn't. And then we had, we go into the Mayans for goodness sake to figure out if they knew it. All I'm telling you is I don't care what you think a generation is. I don't care what your approach. I'm telling you, we're running out of days. You can't keep putting this off and kicking the can down the road. He's coming. It's time to get ready. It's time to get serious and intentional about serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We owe this city one more revival. (laughs) We owe this city one more, one more revival. So I'm going to preach and you're going to worship, but we got to have that wind. If we don't have that wind, we might as well go to the bowl game and get drunk. We're all living a lie and we're all deceived. But if this is the truth, if if this is the truth, and Estelle told me this is that, so I think it's the truth. All right? I'm asking you to join with us. Amen. And respond to the word in worship. But trust and believe that the Holy Ghost is going to move in this house today. Come with me around this altar. Don't come quietly. Come come clapping, okay? Don't don't quit clapping and walk up here and then start. Come clapping. Don't, don't, Don't worship in the pew. Get silent. Come, come clapping. Come worshiping. Amen. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. We we got lights on us. There's souls. There's souls in the balance here right now. They're not going to serve God. My preaching didn't do it. Your praising didn't do it. Only the wind's going to blow it away. We need the fresh breath of the Holy Holy Ghost to blow upon us. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Worship with, don't just listen to these people sing. Sing while they worship. If you want to sing with them, sing with them. But for goodness sakes, don't be quiet. Amen. Do something right now. Use your mouth. Use your hands. Use your body. <laughs> Jesus, we covet your presence. We ask humbly and sincerely. Dwell among us, Heavenly Father. Well, well, well among us.